What is up, everyone? Before we get into this episode, I just want to thank our sponsors, the African Students Association from the University of Notre Dame, for sponsoring us. And let's hear a bit more about what they have to say about their Pan African Youth Conference, which will be happening in March. Kwame Nkrumah, Julius Nyedere, Nelson Mandela, Patrice Lumumba. The historic mission of that first generation of African leaders was to liberate Africa from the throngs of colonialism and imperial domination. Thomas Sankara, Yoweri Museveni, Jerry Rawlings. The historic mission of the second generation of African leaders was to consolidate the gains from independence and to set Africa on the path to socio-economic transformation. As the current generation of young Africans, we too are faced with an important task of first, discovering what our historic mission is as a generation, and secondly, deciding whether to fulfill or betray that mission. Thus, the African Students Association of the University of Notre Dame will host a virtual edition of the Pan-African Youth Conference, which will bring together a Pan-African network of university students from Africa and across the world. Participants at the conference will grapple with four critical questions that are pertinent to our understanding of our historic mission as a generation. One, who are we as Africans? Where are we as a continent? How did we get here? And most importantly, where and how do we go from here? The conference will feature a keynote address from one of contemporary Africa's foremost thought leaders, Professor Achille Mbembe from the University of Cape Town. We invite you to be part of a Pan-African network of young Africans seeking to discover the historic mission of our generation and to fulfill it. Africa needs you. Will you answer the call? To register for this event, Follow the link in my bio, on my Instagram, or my TikTok. Let's get right into the episode. Hey guys, just before you watch this episode, a bit of a trigger warning. This is not just a podcast, it's also meant to be an audio experience. So we'll be using a lot of sounds to sort of contextualize any historical references we're making. There is a reference to World War One and World War Two, and we've added a bit of ambience from sort of wartime to sort of just enhance the experience a bit more and make it a bit more realistic. So if you're in any way, shape or form disturbed by any light gunfire, just softly playing in the background to sort of contextualize it, then you can click off towards the end of the podcast. And I hope that you'll be able to fully enjoy the podcast. Just message me if you have any questions. Welcome everybody back to Timbuk Tuesday. This is season two and I'm really excited to get this season started off. Today we're going to be talking about African contributions to history. Now, why do we even need to discuss this? If you look back in history and in the history books, you'll clearly see that a Eurocentric model of thinking has taken over. So where there are certain black achievements, specifically from South or Saharan Africa, they're often downplayed or overlooked in favor of either Northern African contributions to history or even Eurocentric or like just basically um, European or white achievements sort of being put on a pedestal as if they are the bedrock of history. So we're here to challenge that narrative and I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to try and make it maybe 10-15 minutes long just to try and get you guys interested. I'm not going to go into total depth, that's for YouTube which should be coming soon but I just want to give you guys a bit of an appetite. Maybe you can do some more research but these are four ways in which Africa contributed to history. Now let me take you back, all the way to the prehistoric era. Not 1,000 years ago, 
not 10,000 years ago, but we're going to go back as far as 73,000 years ago. That's the that's the furthest we're going to go for this episode. But there is so much more in terms of prehistoric African history that is way beyond the scope of this podcast. But let's get started. Why are we even looking at prehistoric history? A lot of people think that oh, even if there are any contributions, of course, you know, Africa is the cradle of humankind. These aren't really contributions because uh, these were what the first human beings were. And if Africans were around for so long, why haven't then been, they been able to achieve as much? And obviously, we'll get the, into this a bit later in the the episode, but. We're just going to significantly challenge a lot of these claims, and I think it's important to actually look back at where all these different things started. A lot of the first things that you're hearing about, the first iterations of certain inventions or ways of thinking, they came from the African continent. And before people try to downplay that, you need to consider the gravity of these discoveries. And the first one is the oldest drawing in the world, it's located in the Blombos Cave. In Cape Town, South Africa, it's around seventy-three thousand years old, and it's just literally a small hashtag. But it's one of the signs of human intelligence, one of the first signs of human intelligence. And quite frankly, it is an impressive discovery that they made quite a few years ago. And is it exciting? It tells us a bit more about humanity. As we proceed further down to Kenya, for example, you see that. In the Mao escarpment, they actually did find ostrich eggshells that were essentially being used as a form of jewelry. They were making either necklaces or they would make these armbands and they'd be decorated with these ostrich eggshells. And this is one of the first signs of bling culture coming out from humanity. And this is definitely, yeah, this is on the African continent. And it's around 40,000 years old. So it's extremely impressive that a lot of these first groundbreaking things that we're seeing that have become so taken for granted in our society you know things like you know armbands a lot of them actually originated from the continent or they had the early roots on the continent now people always want to talk about resources and colonizers and oh africans didn't even know how to reach those resources then can someone please explain to me why the first mine ever that we know about is located on the african continent if you go to, I believe it's Eswatini, there's a place called the Nguenya Mine, which is around 43,000 years old. And it's one of the earliest places where you start to see people mining for iron ore. And it's quite impressive considering that during that time, I mean, you might be wondering, you know, why, what would people be doing with iron? Were we even in the Iron Age? You know, 43,000 years ago is a long time ago. I'd say it's very groundbreaking. And these are things that we need to be able to recognize in order to get a big picture of what world history actually is. Now we're going to move into the last two artifacts. And there's one called the Lembombo bone, which is 35,000 years old. And there's the Ishango bone, which is around 18 to 20,000 years old. These are some of the oldest mathematical tools in history. The Lembombo bone did not just have any scratches on the side, just as any other bone might have had. but it actually had a specific number and this was 29 sort of, I'm just gonna call them scratches. It had 29 scratches on the side of the bone. And this could actually signify a menstrual calendar or just simply even a calendar uh, referring to the lunar cycle. And that's something that is incredibly interesting considering how old the bone actually is. And given that information, it could have been one of the first calendars out there. 
And as for the Ishango bone, yes, it does have several scratches, but they're not just there sort of as counting devices. That's what some mathematicians have said. Some mathematicians have said that they are there for more complex operations and uh, might actually be one of the first signs of humanity developing arithmetic and doing some form of basic math. So as we've said in this prehistoric sort of section, Africa is basically the place where a lot of these things came from. Whether it's bling culture, whether it's mining, whether it's writing and drawing, all these different things must have come from the African continent, as far as we know. And we're going to move on to a different sort of section, but it's important that before we start even looking at the colonial history, post-colonial history, and pre-colonial history, that we go as far as the prehistoric era. Now let's take you to the Malian Empire in the pre-colonial era, where one of the most important or significant, I should say, documents of all times surfaces. It's one of the first constitutions on the African continent. If not, it might actually just be the first in South Saharan Africa. And it's called the Korakorn Foga. Although it was mainly transmitted by way of oral tradition, this was essentially a constitution that was formed after a warring period and Sunjata Keita essentially unified the Malian Empire. Here you find the different rights of people, you find different societal norms that um, they're trying to sort of normalize within society and make them rules. And it's very interesting because most people when they start thinking about constitutions, the first thing that they point to is Magna Carta, or the first thing that they'll point to is the Bill of Rights. But they'll never talk about the Korokon Foga. And let's actually read you two articles from the Korokon Foga, and you can sort of reflect on the implications these have for political thinkers and how they think of rights. So in Article 20, it says, and I quote, Do not ill-treat the slaves. You should allow them to rest one day per week and to end their working day at a reasonable time. You are the master of the slaves, but not of the bag they carry. So we can clearly see that here, although yes, it does mention slavery, it was most likely uh, indentured servitude, uh, and there was obviously different definitions of slavery, but obviously it still wasn't probably right if you look at the context um, of the way they treated slaves in Mali. But we can do another podcast on that if you want to. But you can clearly see that the concept of rights is something to actually manifest within this con- constitution. And this is not something we, we see in a lot of political documents until much later, even perhaps the 19th century. But this is very much present in the Malian constitution in 1236. As for Article 5, it says, Everybody has a right to life and to the preservation of physical integrity. Accordingly, any attempt to deprive one's fellow being of life is punished with death. Very harsh, but it's interesting to see that the right to life has already been established. If you look at certain philosophers like John Locke, for example, um, he talks about the right to life when he's talking about liberalism, the state of nature, all these different political theories, and a lot of the constitutions, and I'd say if not all of the constitutions, and even the European Convention on Human Rights, it contains this article in some way, shape, or form, mainly the first part of everyone has a right to life. And it's very interesting how this early on, the Malian Empire was thinking about this. Definitely something that's notable. Okay, guys, let's talk a bit 
more about why Africa was considered this dark continent. When I was in school, we were just taught that, oh, you know, Africa was called the dark continent because we didn't really know much about it. And it makes it seem as if Africa was cut off from the rest of the world, but nothing has been further from the truth. This is exactly what I mean by when you're taught a Eurocentric perspective of history, you actually forget that Africa had its own rich history. And today we're going to talk about trade. Africa contributed heavily to world trade routes. And we're going to briefly just talk about uh, the wealth of trade that happened on the African continent. For example, in the Malian Empire, you have someone by the name of Ibn Battuta, one of the most traveled human beings before, obviously, the advent of planes and ships and all these different things. Uh, like, you know, uh, these steam sort of powered ships or actual, you know, modern day ships. He traveled all across the world. You know, you have India, you have the Malian Empire as well. He came down to Mombasa, went to the Ajaran Empire as well. There's a lot that he did. And when he was in Mali, he saw certain shells being used as like a form of like, you know, trading currency. And to show you the extent of African trade, when he was in the Maldives, he actually found a ship that was heading to the side of Mali, right? And it was full of these shells. So he came to the conclusion that this was actually being used as a trading currency, not just in Mali, but in several different parts of the continent and even perhaps beyond the continent. That tells a very different story than, oh, Africa was cut off from the rest of the world. Let's also go to the Somali spice trade. The Somalis were trading with the Romans for a very long time. They traded things like cassia, which is a type of cinnamon, and they also traded things like incense and also tortoise shells. So when you look at all of these things combined, you see that there's a very rich trading relationship. Different Somali towns would offer up different goods, and a lot of the spices were actually brought over from India, and the Somalis would usually mark up the price and sell it at a profit, to the Romans. And some of these spices were so valuable that the Romans used to keep them in vaults. And if you want to talk a bit more about the East African trade routes, we can talk about the Swahili people, some of the most elite traders on the continent. They used to actually help kingdoms from all the way down as far as Zimbabwe, what we know today as Zimbabwe or Northern South Africa, like, you know, Mwenemutapa, Great Zimbabwe, and, you know, all these different kingdoms, they would send their gold to specific ports in what we know as Mozambique today. And the Swahili people would take it up all the way up the coast and they would essentially help uh, them be a sort of, you know, middleman between them and, for example, Chinese traders or Arab traders or Aksumite traders, for example. So the Swahili people were amazing traders. And at one point they even sent a giraffe to one of uh, the emperors in China. And there's a whole story on that. We can do a, a different YouTube video on that. That can come out. But... There was also this giraffe trade and like, you know, the sending of exotic animals. This happened a lot in places like Egypt, Kanembornu. I believe from Somalia, they also used to send like, you know, gazelles and oryxes. And also the same thing for the Malindi Sultanate as well. So it's a very different story than what we're actually hearing in school. And I just want you guys to keep that in mind. But in terms of trade, Africa had a wide, wide, wide experience with trading with countries from all across the world. And we can do a whole entire podcast on this, but this is just to give you a bit of a taste of what it really was like in terms of training. Africa had a huge impact on medieval trade specifically and predating medieval trade as well. So finally, we are going to finish off with the African contributions to the world wars. This is a topic I don't see a lot of people talking about, but people just sort of think, oh yeah, you know, the world wars, 
Europe got hurt and that was basically it. But there were significant losses from African soldiers as well and civilians actually a lot of them passed away unfortunately and many were either killed uh obviously being caught in the crossfire but most were usually killed by famine that was a direct a direct cause of the war. So if we look at World War 1 for example, the French recruited around 438,000 colonial soldiers from around Africa and most of them were actually forced to do it. And that already just tells a different story. People were basically putting their lives on the line for colonies and essentially political matters that did not concern them. And you can see how World War 1 still affects us in the African continent today. If you look at a place like Cameroon for example, there's an anglophone crisis and francophones basically that whole minority majority split that was caused by obviously Cameroon being a previous German colony and when they lost that colony uh due to obviously uh colonial french and british forces taking over Cameroon they split it up between themselves and now that's why you have some people that speak french and some people who speak English and why that there's some sort of secessionist movements that are going but obviously I've just diluted that a bit but that's one of the main causes of the conflict. Additionally, around 1 million East Africans, yes, 1 million East Africans died in the East Africa campaign, Africa campaign as a direct result of World War 1. This was mainly due to the famine, some towns in Tanzania, the population went down by I think it was 20%, that was Dodoma and it's it was absolutely insane how when we were learning about world war in school um that we didn't cover this you know even as i mean i'm 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 essentially i was taught in a british system school in east africa but we never talked about this and we learned about world war 1 we learned about world war 2 this is something we never covered and it's quite heartbreaking that we were, were never told about what truly happened to our people as for world war 2 there's two things that i'll cover although there's been significant african uh contributions to World War 2. And I'm not trying to make the point that without Africa that you know these different forces would have lost, but we definitely helped in the efforts of you know either side being able to win. Around 100,000 West Africans served in Burma in World War 2. And that's a huge number. And they were fighting obviously the Empire of Japan, but several of them died and when some some of them actually came back uh they were not even paid they were told that they were going to get bicycles or they were told that they were going to get freedom but obviously those were just sweet nothings that they were being told so they can be able to conscript very unfortunate situation but that is exactly the, these are the numbers that we're looking at we're in the hundreds of thousands to the millions when it comes to world war 2 and in the last one we'll talk about the atomic bombs that were dropped on japan not many people know this but al jazeera and a couple of other sources including one on the conversation estimate that around 2/3 of the uranium used in the nuclear bombs dropped on Japan came from the Democratic Republic of Congo. So we can say confidently that the DRC played a major role without even knowing it, you know, but resources from the DRC helped in essentially shaping world history. And without the US getting access to that colony, I'm not really sure that they would have been able to have that same leeway to test nuclear bombs or even drop them on Japan. And this is I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but it's just it's it's incredibly ironic how a lot of people try to make it seem as if this was a solely US thing that the US could be independent and do whatever they wanted and to dominate the world. But here's the thing, it's like you you oppress one country, you take the resources from them 
and then you kill thousands of innocent people. And we can talk about Japanese history later, but I'm definitely against the use of nuclear bombs on innocent people who had almost nothing to do with the war itself. So those are a couple of ways in which Africa actually contributed to the world wars. And I think it's something that we should really develop more in our curriculum so we can learn the effects of the world war on the continent and we can learn about how Africans truly impacted Western history. I want to thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. This is Timbuk Tuesday. As usual, once every two weeks uh, for every single Pariah Nation season, we're going to be dropping an episode that's aimed to be 15 minutes long or 20 minutes at the max. But I hope to give you guys a bit more information on some African history topics and some African politics. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. If you're able to, you can go ahead and share it. And I guess I will see you in the next two weeks when we'll be talking about the stolen loot from the African continent. What is happening to get it back? Where's the loot been taken from? And how 438, I believe it's, sorry, it's 431,000 roughly artifacts have been taken from the continent and are now in European museums. And what are we doing to get it back? So thank you once again. I love you guys so much. Have a wonderful day or a wonderful evening. And I will see you in the next episode.